Good morning. Welcome to worship at First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia. It is a pleasure to greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning we are celebrating World Communion Sunday, and so we are worshiping in spirit and in truth with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Welcome and may God bless you through this time of worship. Let's join together responsively in our call to worship. Almighty God, from the ends of the earth, you have gathered us around Christ's holy table. We come to feast together. On World Communion Sunday, we join with our brothers and sisters around the world in this holy meal to give thanks and praise to you for the life we have received. Transform our daily bread into the bread of life and the cup that we drink into the cup of salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
And now may we unite our voices and hearts in our opening prayer. Let us pray together. Loving and inclusive God, Jesus prayed that we might be one in spirit and one in mission, in union and communion with each other and with you. On this World Communion Sunday, give us eyes to recognize your reflection in the eyes of Christians everywhere, minds to accept and celebrate our differences, and hearts big enough to love your children everywhere. We thank you for setting a table with space enough for us all. Amen. Good morning. I'd like to ask for the attention of the children who are watching this morning. Do you know what today is? I mean, of course, today is October 4th. We know that, but it's a special day on the Christian calendar. Today is World Communion Sunday. Now, there's a lot that makes us different around the world as people. We speak different languages. We wear different clothes. We live in different kinds of housing. But in Christ, we are made one. God made us all. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are all loved by Jesus. That's the most important thing. So on this Sunday, whether people are worshiping in mud huts or they're worshiping in the chapel here at First United Methodist Church, or they're worshiping in a parking lot across the street, or they're worshiping in a cathedral, it's all holy ground, and together we are all one in Christ. God bless you. Think about your, your friends and neighbors in Christ around the world and how today we are all joined together. Let us pray. Almighty God, give us ears to hear your story in these words of scripture. Give us eyes to see your story in the faces of those who surround us and give us faith enough that by your grace, we might serve you until the end of our days. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is found in the 20th chapter of Exodus, beginning with the first verse. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet 
and the mountains smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the 21st chapter of Matthew's gospel, beginning with the 33rd verse. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenant seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenant saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it was amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. My uncle is a Lutheran pastor. He's well regarded as a theologian and is often given thorny theological problems by his denomination to sort through. I've read some of his writings, and his approach to theological problems seems to follow a formula. First, he looks at what the law says about a problem, and then he tries to uh, look at what the gospel says and bridge the two. Well, this morning we are given the Ten Commandments as our Old Testament text. They've been around for a long, long time, and yet they're far from obsolete. As G.K. Chesterton once said, if a person comes to the edge of a cliff and keeps on walking, he will not break the law of gravity, he will prove it. The Ten Commandments are like that. If we break them, it's not that we are shunned or rejected or cast out. If we break them, we become broken. For the ancient Israelites, the issue isn't whether to follow the rules. 
They had become quite good at following rules after being enslaved for centuries. Once freed from Egyptian oppression, they actually longed for the old rules. They wanted the familiarity of routine, the predictability of a life of drudgery. God gave them the Ten Commandments not to add to the rules they already knew, but to give them a new kind of rule set, not rules that were destructive, but rather rules that were life-giving. They were meant to be practical and basic. They were meant to be trustworthy guides. When they were given to Moses out in the middle of the wilderness of freedom, they were given by God to comfort and not to enslave. The way the Israelites saw things, these commandments were seen as a gift from a caring God. When we think about the giving of the commandments, many of us probably think of God giving them the way that it is pictured in the movie The Ten Commandments, in which Charlton Heston receives these tablets from a blustering and thundering God on high. But what if instead we think of God as the loving parent who gently but wisely guides children in the right paths? Think of those times when you were growing up and you were so sure of yourself and then you were knocked down. And then when you reached out to a parent or perhaps a coach or a teacher for guidance, what you received was good advice given with a desire for your wholeness. The advice didn't underscore your mistake, it underscored your worth. Walter Brueggemann, the great Old Testament scholar, says in his discussion, of the Ten Commandments, all persons face the threat of darkness. All persons, no matter how smart or how rich or how mature, grow weary of dispute in questioning and risk. All persons need those times of homecoming when they can return to the sureties which do not need to be defended or doubted. And that is what Torah, that is what the law is. It is a homecoming. It's like putting feet under mother's table where the old food and reliable topic and the safe presumptions are all at work together again. The commandments are sure and certain signs that God has not left us alone. We are not the first generation ever to have struggled with what was right and wrong. We are not left to conjure up life for ourselves out of nothing in each and every generation. A reliable and sure structure is revealed to us. In a world which often appears nonsensical and illogical, the underlying God-given logic is shown to us in the Ten Commandments. There is an order to life. Life is more predictable than it first appears. We don't have to think it all up for ourselves. We can trust God and God's people in community to show us the way. In fact, that's what Torah means. It is the way. Commandments show us the way. Barbara Brown Taylor, an Episcopal priest who also happens to be my favorite writer, puts the Ten Commandments in contemporary language. And it's worth hearing them as she shares them. This is what she writes. Commandment one, you shall have no other gods before me. In the first place, because I am very jealous of your affections. 
And then the second place, because the little G gods cannot do anything for you. I am the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God, and you shall not give anyone else my place in your hearts. Commandment two, no more idols. I made you in my image. Stop trying to make me in yours. You look silly, bowing down to little statues that you yourselves have made. And besides, you don't need them because you've got me. Commandment three, don't throw my name around. A name is a very personal thing, and the fact that you know mine at all is a sign of our closeness. Don't abuse the privilege. Commandment four, keep the Sabbath, not for my sake, but for yours. One day a week, stop working and remember that you are more than what you do. Commandment five, honor your father and mother. Whatever kind of job they did on you, they got you here. At the very least, honor them for that. Commandment six, don't murder. However dubious it may seem to you, all life is precious to me, including your own. Until you can make it, don't take it. Commandment seven, don't mess around with marriage vows, your own or anyone else's. Sticking with them is the best chance you've got of growing up. Commandment eight, don't take what doesn't belong to you. Life may not be fair, but that doesn't mean you can't be. Commandment nine, don't give your word on things you know aren't true. Your word is as much a part of you as your arm or your leg. Twist it and you will limp. Why would you do that to yourself? Commandment 10, don't fondle other people's things in your mind as if they were your own. You'll not only resent them for having things, you'll soon resent yourself for not having them too. Learn to want what you have and you will have what you want. God told the Israelites to choose life, not death. And just in case they didn't know which decisions led to which, he gave them these commandments. And so let us look to the Ten Commandments as God's gift to show us the way, not to make us good so that we may therefore be acceptable, but to guide us so that we don't fall into the abyss of moral chaos. My uncle looks at thorny theological problems first by looking at what the law says and then what the gospel says, and then tries to find a way to bridge the two. In truth, they're not that far apart because there is abundant grace in them both. Thanks be to God. Amen. the woods and
Let us now affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now with the boldness of children of God, let us pray as our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Now may you go forth in peace to love and to serve God and your neighbor in all that you do. And the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest and abide with you now and always. Amen. Necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and